You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. All right, so here we are, episode one, and we're launching into all of the insanity that is us. All the insanity that is us. Um, so now, uh, welcome to the show. Since it is episode one, we're going to be discussing um, kind of our background, what the Bible means to us, give you an idea of how we approach things, and we're going to be talking a lot about what the Bible is and what the Bible isn't, um, but we also want to kind of give you some background on who we are so that you kind of understand where we're coming from and what we what we would like to accomplish with the show and a little bit about the format. And, you know, why we want to do this so desperately. And so desperately that we're recording when Emily barely has a voice. Uh, we actually um, are kind of on a tight schedule. Uh, we decided this is when we're going to launch. And then right before Emily, right before we we're going to record, Emily got up here and she's she's we actually put this off one day, um, trying to get things going. You can hear me today. Yeah, you can hear her today. And um, yesterday she had just like a tiny whisper of a voice left. So we are excited about that, that she's back in action. Um, but um, that being said, that's a little background on us. Um, Emily um, is, she has her master's in biblical literature. Um, well, even let's go back a little farther. First off, um, we're we're a couple of old Bible nerds. We would stay up. You know, we're brother and sister, and we would stay up till two, three in the morning sometimes, just discussing weird things that we found in the Bible, trying to make sense of things. And I tell you, I wish we would have had the resources we have today back yes. then because there's a lot of we went off on some really crazy ideas. Uh, <laughs> some of them so crazy that we barely shared them with anyone because we're like, whoa, no one's gonna. Must that. be heretics. Yeah, yeah, we were really kind of afraid of that at times, but um, we always tried to make sense of the scripture as clearly um, from what it said as we could. Now, the good news is actually some of our little wild tangents have borne out to be correct. Some of them have, yeah. And those are the ones I'm really excited about talking about in future episodes. So. Yeah, we we will get into some of that, but um, so this uh, this curiosity. Uh, carried on with both of us um i when i was around 15 i started playing guitar and did a lot of songwriting and uh, nothing that anyone's ever heard but maybe that'll change in the future i don't know maybe we'll do some patreon perks or something with that there you go that could be fun but uh that being said um i played in several churches i've led uh worship there i've led a bunch of small groups um here and there most of my experience has been volunteer and just kind of the part of the reason I'm here is one because I'm I'm Emily's brother and we work well together, but for well, the most part, for the most part. Uh, but one of the things that I feel like I bring to the show is the fact that I don't have a degree, and I I can kind of be there to show what you can learn um, or not learn, I guess, um, depending on your take. But um, to encourage people who don't have degrees that there's the resources out there can still get you a long way 
you, you know, you don't walk away with an accreditation, sadly, um, after just reading all the books. But if you're into it just to explore and expand your knowledge, then you can do it. The, the resources are there and we're, we want to provide some of those resources, but I feel like that's kind of what I bring to the show is that I am, you know, I don't have, I'm not accredited, but you can learn a lot if you are willing to put in the time. Well, and I think that's where having me and not to toot my own horn, but where I did have the degree and I was able to say, Hey, this is a good solid source. This is what we're actually using in a seminary. This is going to be, we can kind of help vet some of those sources Mm -hmm. because on the internet, there's so many sources out there that you just can't rely on. And a lot of people are just overwhelmed and even scared to start studying because they don't know who to trust. Right. So we can kind of help weed out some of those, I don't want to say crazy voices, but... Erroneous opinions. There you go. Uh, I think that's the polite way to say it. And you're going to learn Nathan's a lot more polite than I am. Yeah, well... (laughs) I, I tend to be, um, but, uh, but yeah, well, there are times when I will be a little more blunt, but it just depends on the topic. But I, I like to say things and, you know, I've got the, uh, I try to be the Irish diplomat. So if you know what that is, that's <laughs> generally how I work. But, um, yeah, as Emily mentioned, she's got her degree. She has her master's in biblical literature, um, which means she spent, how many years were you in seminary? I successfully turned a two-year degree into a five-year degree. So she spent five years um, <laughs> learning Greek and Hebrew. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. Um, so um, she's proficient in both languages, um, which is great. Um, but uh, that that's kind of her background. Um, there's other things uh, that we'll kind of bring out in the future. But we never lost that curiosity and we never lost that drive to serve and to to share what we know and that's kind of what led us to what we're doing today and people got to set in on some of our conversations and overhear what we talk about how we talk about it and they really liked being a part of that and we had so many friends who said man we wish you would do a podcast we wish we could be a part of the conversation or we we just want to be a part of what you're doing so that's really Mm -hmm. kind of the the push to get us out there and do this and it wasn't really us going, hey, wow, we're great. We want people to hear what we have to say. It was that other people said, we want to hear what you have to say. So hopefully everybody who listens will enjoy this journey as much as most of the people we know seem to have. Right. And it is, uh, I apologize for the Altoid noise, um, but it is cold and, you know, allergy <laughs> season where we are. I just got over a cold last week. I barely had a voice. This week, Emily barely has a voice. Um, but Part of the, again, with the recording schedule, part of that is um, Emily lives about two and a half hours from where I am, so she is driving in to do these. Um, so, Sleeping on the couch with the kids up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, my kids wake up at five, which is not when Emily normally wakes up. Um, but yeah, so if I uh, if you see me grabbing Altoids and stuff, I'm still, I still have a little bit of a tickle in my throat, and they really help. Um, Altoids, not a sponsor. Um, but we would like you to be, so. But, <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm sure that they're into religion, right? Sure, why not? The curiously strong mints. Uh, hey, everybody for... is religious, whether they want to believe it or not. Right. Everyone is religious. Uh, I love the, I, I'm just going to go off on a tangent here because this is a really big thing I often hear about. People say I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Well, 
the thing is, spirituality is what you believe. Religion is how you practice it. And we right. all practice our religion every day, no matter what it is. So everyone's religious. It just may not be a religion you share with others. Right. And, and to take that even farther, uh, you know, even a lot of us who are religious, um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Christians who like to say, well, I'm religious, but I don't like I don't like a lot of ceremony and things like that. Um, but, you know, if, if you've ever tried to change the offering time at a Baptist church um, or a non-denominational church, even you're going to oftentimes find that doesn't go over so well. Um, it, was, it was funny. Uh, I had a great I can't I, I stumbled on a great illustration for this. I was listening to a, uh, another podcast. It's actually um, I'm part of a worship leaders group and there's some of them who decided to start a podcast to kind of help everyone know each other called uh, After the Music Stops. And they were talking about, um, they, they had a, a guest on and they, they put out a call for questions on their, on their Facebook page. And it was really funny, like some of the questions, because it was just random stuff. It had nothing to do with leading worship. It had nothing to do with leadership styles, anything like that, that you would expect from a, from a show like this. But the, the, one of the questions that they, they came across was, how do you eat your Oreos? And I was like, at first, I was like, why are you wasting my time with asking someone how they eat their Oreos? And, you know, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, you know, I've got, you know, I have a job where I, I work maintenance, so I don't have, you know, I'm not on a tight schedule when I'm listening to my podcast. I got about six to eight hours where I'm not interacting with people. Excuse me. And I can just listen. And um, so the... So I was listening to this, and then it kind of struck me. It's like, no, this is a great illustration, and the question is important. Not, not the question itself. Not how do you eat your Oreos, and even the specific, and even the answers aren't important. But the answers are are important, but not the specific answer is not important. But it's the fact that everyone has the own their own way they eat the Oreo, and if someone eats it differently, they're convinced the other person's wrong, and. You know, some people uh, don't like Oreos and we'll call them non-believers. But, you know, <laughs> among the people who were talking, you know, there was one guy who would take uh, take his Oreo part and, you know, lick the filling out and then eat the rest of it. There was one guy who's like, I just shove them in my face. And everyone was like, what are you even doing eating Oreos? You can't eat them like that. You don't really <laughs> enjoy them. You know, another guy was talking about how he likes his in milk, but he doesn't like to get his fingers wet. So he pokes them with the fork and dunks them in the milk with the fork and I'm just like going it's okay so here's what you learn from this and that's that everybody has a ceremony they love mm -hmm. whether it's uh quote unquote religious or non-religious there's a there's a ceremony that they're into and how you eat your Oreo is a serious matter come on let's be real well I guess I I'm more of the just well I'm more I, I know I don't care for milk and I'm more of the just, I'm just going to eat the things. I know, let's be honest, milk doesn't care for you. Well, yeah, milk does not care for me. <laughs> or me. Um, that's, the other, <laughs> that's the other side of it, yeah. So um, that, and since I've had kids, it's more of a, you just have to get your food in your mouth as quickly <laughs> as you can, especially if it's something the kids like. Um, so that helps out. Yeah, I'm a father of a two and a four-year, uh, two and a five-year-old now. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily has two grown children of her own. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... God, let me reproduce. I've been questioning his judgment ever since. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I get that. Uh, yeah, there are days I'm like, 
do these come to the right house? Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but that being said, um, you know, we, we like to observe things like that, um, how people are kind of bizarre. Um, ourselves included. Ourselves included. And things that you just look at and you go, okay, out of context, that, that would actually be kind of weird. Um, but yeah, the Oreo thing, I thought that was a great illustration for that. So anyway, moving on to our, our topic. Um, well, not even quite to our topic because I wanted to throw this out there. Um, we're recording right now. It's October. And so what is it that comes around every October aside from allergies? Halloween. Halloween. So yeah. Um, holidays. Holidays. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so now is the time that, uh, many churches across the nation are doing the hell houses. Uh, the good old scary end of faith routine. Yeah. And, um, Actually, if anyone knows, does Facebook, um, do you know, if you report something, does Facebook tell the other person who reported it? If anyone knows, can you let us know? I'm asking for a friend. Um, <laughs> the, um, but these are, I, I never did get into, for one, I'm not a horror fan, but two, it just, I don't get the hell houses. It seems like, you know, we're going to try to scare someone into submission where we're gonna uh frighten them to the point where they feel like the only um the the only escape is to cry out to god and it's kind of funny because emily and i were actually having a discussion with someone the other day about um adult conversions and the you know the, the saying there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole and how we've seen in our lives we've seen a lot of people who have had their conversion experience um under duress under duress or well I'm, I'm saying like even even people who have had you know who have had a genuine conversion experience during a stressful time or a traumatic time we've had it questioned by others in the church i mean not we've had ours but we've seen other people have mm-hmm. their conversion experience questioned because it wasn't just at an altar call and it wasn't when they were younger it was during when they were having trouble in their life right and so I find it interesting that a lot of the same people who have those kind of um, uh, outlooks and those kind of questions, they they spend a large amount of time in September and October working to manufacture the same crisis, same a similar type of crisis scenario um, to try to convince people um, to to come to the faith. And I th- and and personally, um, I think. Uh, did you have something you're going to add there? Yeah, well, I mean, I hadn't put it together quite that way, and so I thought that was interesting. That if you if you convert during a crisis as an adult, then you might not truly be saved. But if you have a crisis, a manufactured crisis as a teen, mm-hmm. then by all means, it's legit, and we'll put it on our church rolls and books, and yay for us. Yeah, yeah. And so I I I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, that that's weird. And then I kind of pair that with I ran across a quote the other day. Um. I can't remember the guy's first name, but I sent it to you. uh, His uh, last name was Raven Hill, which I think is kind of interesting because the Raven Creek thing. Um, But that's purely coincidental. Uh, But he said, you know, the the sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than all the bars in the in the world. And and what he means by that is we we have this idea in the Western church that. 
if we can get people to say the right words, then they say basically we've, we've made the sinner's prayer an incantation that saves you, that frees your soul from hell. Um, I've seen that a lot. I've seen that a hundred times at least. I mean, probably more than that. Uh, growing up in church, because you know we went to church camp. We went to uh, you know we went to all kinds of. Uh, uh, there was one summer all, I was all kinds of youth conferences. Yeah, yeah, four different churches had VBS that we went to those vacation Bible schools for all these these four different churches. Right, because our family was involved in all four churches in leadership and ministry, some form or the other. So that's kind of a little peek into our background. Right. And and when we say that, we don't mean like our nuclear family, like our mom and dad. We mean we, we have we have a large family. We have we have aunts and uncles as kind of a little tangent. For me and Emily, a Sunday afternoon gathering was 20 to 30 people. Um, that's just that's a regular Sunday afternoon. That's not even like big family reunion time. And we would get together at least on Sundays often Saturday nights doing ice cream mm-hmm. and a couple of times throughout the week that we would all just eat together. So we really didn't know that our family wasn't just mom and dad and us kids. Right. Yeah. It was, it was, a, it was a, a great way to grow up. I think mm-hmm. uh, it, it really kind of gave you a, a good sense that the world is bigger than you, um, that I don't, that I did not appreciate in, until <laughs> I became an adult, um, to be honest. But um, I'm, I'm really glad for that experience now. So that being said, um, the reason I bring up the Hell House thing and the that quote is because I think those the quote uh, the way we approach the sinner's prayer, the way we approach the Hell Houses, the way we do uh, ministry and evangelism, I, I to me it seems it comes from misunderstanding the Bible and what the gospel is all about. And what we want to do is we want to talk a little bit about what the Bible is about and what it is and what it's not so that as we move forward, we can approach it honestly as we get to the different topics that we're going to cover over the next uh, however many episodes we wind up doing. Well, and I think, you know, in a legal situation, if you obtain a confession under duress, it's thrown out. Right. And so why is legalities being more, it has more common sense than what we're approaching religion with? And the other thing is there's this all this implication that if you say this prayer, you have no further obligations. Mm-hmm. And it, it just that's the beginning and the end, and now you're safe. And I, I don't think that's how it was ever meant to be. I, and I think that we've misled a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, because we are such big Bible nerds and we want to study and we want to know more, that this is going to be something um where we're going to talk about how the studying actually leads us to the place of, of awe and wonder and mm-hmm. the worship with, of God flows from not just a, oh, I have to, to I want to. Right. Yep. That, that's good. So, um, so we're going to go launch into a couple of examples. I think, Emily, you had some, some things you wanted to talk about. about um, I could talk about that, some stuff. That talk about, you know, what the Bible is and and. and how to correct some of those views. Um, I know the one, the big one that we talked about was, um, was Genesis. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to actually, I want to start with Heschel. You want to start with Heschel. Okay. I want to start with Heschel because this is like this one little tweak will totally change how you read the Bible. Right. 
And I'm now pro- tell us who Heschel is okay, first, yeah, because that's important. Because so Abraham Joshua Heschel was a uh, Jewish scholar. Uh, he was very active during the civil rights movement. He marched with Martin Luther King. Uh, very, um, very into social justice, but also very, very knowledgeable on scripture. And you know, he is Jewish, so it's the Old Testament. And he's got this great book out there, and we highly recommend it. Uh, God in Search of Man. Right. It, What's the other? Is it Man is Not Alone? That was the there was it was a companion to another mm-hmm. one of his books. Is that I the think, other one? Yeah. Man is not alone, and then of course the prophets writing. Um, well, yeah, the prophets. He did the prophets, but mm-hmm. Man is Not Alone. It, it was a companion to God in Search of Man. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I read that one. I should have because Heschel's just one of those writers that if you enjoy reading. The way he phrases things, you just get lost in his books. And yeah, he's a brilliant writer. I've I've read God in Search of Man, and I have not read Man Is Not Alone. I own it. I ordered it off of Amazon, <laughs> but it's it's been sitting because I haven't had a lot of dedicated time to. What you to have get... kids? Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> yes, I love my girls so much, but I pretty much um, I'm waiting for for them to get where they're not quite so dependent. Um, you know, so I've got another. 16 years or so. Just do what I did. You know, I, the girls wanted me to read to them, so I read whatever I was reading. So they've actually heard Heschel. That that might be a good idea. But yeah, basically anymore, I've got two modes, and that's working and sleeping. I've witnessed this, and it's about that quick. So, um, but Heschel in God is Search of Man has this great quote. He says, um, and I'm butchering this probably, but basically that we read the Bible like it's man's book about God. And that we're going to find all these answers about God in this Bible, and, and we're going to understand Him and get to know Him. And the problem is God's an infinite being. And so by infinite, we don't just mean that He's been around forever and, you know, kind of a point A to point B timeline conception, but infinity spans in all directions. And so right. God is never going to be contained in a book. Just it's never going to happen. And so when we think that this book can tell us everything about God, we're, we're making a mistake. So the second half of the quote is that it's God's book about man. And so what we do find is almost every situation, if you know how to read your Bible, any situation you're going to encounter as a human being is addressed somewhere in that book. Right. And so we need to stop reading it like we're going to discover everything we need to know about God and realize that we're going to discover everything we need to know about ourselves. Right. And, and to be clear, you're the, the concepts are there. You're not going to find, you know, every like literal situation. Right. You know, I don't want to overstate well, <laughs> or, or, you know, cause that, you well, know, that's how, the problem. You know, things get misunderstood these days. Well, yeah. And that's the problem. We were given a concept because if we talk about sin being to miss the mark, um, instead of looking at a rules of how not to sin, now we're talking about sin going beyond just breaking a commandment. We're talking about sin um, happening whenever we don't do things with excellence. Or yeah, it's it's not just a list of things to avoid. It becomes yes, it becomes something to aim at. Yes, and so so if we we figure out what the concepts are, then we can apply them across the board. I'm saying, and I just to clarify, I'm not saying sin becomes something to aim at. <laughs> right. But, uh, we have something to aim at, and if we're aiming at the good thing, then. Uh, then the sinful thing becomes less obscure. Right. It's kind of like, you know, when you're focused on a target, you're not looking out, you know, in the field on your right and left. That target becomes what, what exists. Well, and this kind of goes back to Jesus talking with the Pharisees. They kept the laws. 
They did what they were really good at making sure they didn't break the laws. But Jesus says, you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of Christians today, we like to bash the Pharisees, but, you know, we're guilty of the same things. And we miss the point because we aren't applying the concept. We're just following the letter of the law. Right. So uh, I think when we, we look at the Bible as a book about us and we begin to see the concepts and how they apply in our life, now it takes on a new depth. And it takes on a new, new meaning for us. And I, I, I think we get so much more out of it and, and can find a practical application. So that that's, was a huge revelation for me. And it totally changed the way I, I read the Bible. And it sounds so simple now as I'm repeating it. But if you really stop to think about it, when you have come out of that very church tradition where we're going to go learn about God now. Right. And, and not to say you don't learn about God, because there's definitely plenty about his interactions with humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I think, now I will say, the big, one of the biggest ones for me uh, that kind of changed the way I read the Bible, because you know, that, was, that was a big one. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the biggest revelations to me was, was reading the Bible is a lot of times um, we tend to think of the Bible as something, it's a record of, of how things had to be. Right. And it's, it's when we look at it, it's a record of how things work. It's not necessarily that, you know, God orchestrated every little tiny uh, sinful act. And now we can get into that uh, <laughs> Calvinism versus Armenianism. One, one of the things that I found, and the more you just dive into the text, the less that argument even seems it's pertinent. not there. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really, yeah, the more, you, the more you jump into it, it's just like, wow, that, that's, that's not even tertiary. It, it just fades that's, into the background. That's one of the huge distinctions of biblical literature from other mythologies of the time. The other mythologies would candy coat their heroes, and they were so wonderful and amazing. And the quote-unquote heroes of faith, they, they aren't candy-coated. They're full of flaws, and the only one who's good is God. Right. And now now we could, you know, it's really funny, and, and I feel like we need to kind of qualify that a little bit too, um, because when you look at other heroes, you're thinking, oh, but they, but they did all these immoral things. They, uh, they, they, they murdered people. They uh, slept with women. They slept with a bunch of women and all these different things like that. But in that culture— that, that their morality wasn't the same as the, the Judeo-Christian background. So if we right. look back, their culture was lauding them for all these things that we would go, ah, don't do that. Um, so that's something that we should keep in mind as well. Right, because in, in the Bible, these acts are not praised. They're condemned. Right. And we can look at, you know, uh, just two quick examples. Abraham pawning Sarah off as his sister. Mm-hmm. So we have deceit and lies and not to mention, you know, just the blatant abuse of a woman. Right. And then David and Bathsheba. And, you know, this is the man after God's own heart. And David, essentially, um, what we would consider in today's society would be rape. And right, that's, and then he murders her husband. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's, that's actually uh, another thing. If you want to get into some more specifics about what some of the books are, like you were, uh, you and I were talking, is it first, second Chronicles were written to the Jews who were in exile, trying mm-hmm. to get them to return to Israel. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the, at the stories that are, are told in first and second Kings that are also repeated in first and second Chronicles. Um, they leave out a lot of that stuff right. because first and second Chronicles was written to try to get the Jews who had been exiled to come back to their homeland. 
And so, no, it's all well and good here. Um, <laughs> but if you look in First and Second Kings, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, if you were trying to sell King David to someone uh, as, a, as a leader and as a ruler, as a spiritually and, you know, enlightened person who's going to write the much, not all of, but much of the largest book in the Bible, that's not the person you're going to put up there as your number one candidate, typically. Right. And, and that's where we get into the beauty and the artistry and the construction of the Bible. And that each book was written for a purpose, and it was written by humans. Mm-hmm. They're inspired by God. Don't get me wrong. I'm never going to say that God did not inspire this book. Right. But the really cool part is God has invited humanity to be a, to be a part of this adventure. And to be a part of keeping history and keeping records of what his interactions with humanity really were. And so that kind of brings us back to, I think, where you were going a bit, um, in the first place with Genesis. You know, Genesis 1, we get into a lot of debate on, is this evolution? Is this creation? Should Christians um, ascribe to evolution? Should we believe in a young earth, an old earth? Uh, all of these wonderful scientific questions. But the problem is we're not reading a scientific book. We're reading a theology book. And I think when we get locked into these scientific questions, we miss the point. And that's the theological messaging of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And um, we've got some really great sources that that we want to go into at some point. I don't know how deeply we'll be able to get into them today. But we'll see. I mean, we've got some time. The... um, yeah, the first thing that we need to recognize, um, like I said, is that the Bible is a theology book. And I, I love the way Dr. Heiser puts it. Um, if y'all guys aren't familiar, Dr. Heiser um, has the Naked Bible podcast. He has... Um, Paranormal. Yeah, Paranormal podcast, uh, Fringe Pop uh, YouTube video. We're just doing major plugs because I really like his work. I've gone through his book, Unseen Realm. I double checked all of his sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, my book is like literally falling apart because I wanted to make sure he was on target. But um, and the reason why I did that was because he seemed too good to be true. And this was one of our tangents that Nathan and I had gone off on uh, as teenagers. And he was here backing it up and saying that we were right. That as teenagers, and I actually I hadn't brought this up before, but this is cool. As teenagers, us just taking the Bible reading it, taking it seriously without any major sources, without any background resources, we were able to kind of see something that a lot of our adult peers did not see. Right. And, and some of them saw, but a lot of, but it's stuff that often gets explained away. And the, one of the big things is the Nephilim. Yes. Um, but that's, um, you know, is just the idea that the Nephilim were uh, the product of, of men, uh, of women and angels getting together. And, and the way that we kind of were convicted in that direction. Now, here's the thing. What your conviction on this either way does mm-hmm. not affect your salvation. So we're not going right. to get into that. Um, but, you know, we did it by looking at where the Bible used. This is even before Emily got her degree. We looked at it by looking at where the Bible says sons of God. Right. And um, I was probably 19. You were 12. Uh, something like that. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was kind of a crazy exploration through things and we did a lot of digging and we kind of came to the conclusion that hey you know that's probably what they're talking about and so later on when Emily was studying some of the stuff she came across Dr. Heiser and this was after uh, her vetting like a whole slew 
of crackpots who were uh, just just going even way far off the deep end than just saying that what the Bible says is what it says. And the the reason why I bring that up is because uh, you can get there. You can get the important bits from Scripture without having to know Hebrew and Greek, without having to have a degree, like Nathan said earlier. And so when we reference Dr. Heiser, we do it out of respect for his work. And he does bring up in, in his book, you know, the Bible is a theology book, not a science book. And whenever you start to try to impose scientific ideas on theology and you get mad in it because it doesn't fit, it's like being mad at your dog for not being a cat. Right. And so what he, he really um, introduced us to some ideas um, that of the Bible as polemic. And polemic's one of those fancy theological terms. It simply means a counter-argument. But you don't know what the counter-argument is if you don't know what the first argument is. Right. And so you really have to look at the Bible and recognize what the context is. So when you look at Genesis in particular, now this is one point Heiser and I kind of part ways on. Um, I believe that Genesis really was written by... by Moses? Moses, that dude. Yeah, not Charlton Heston. Moses. Mm, the, the real Moses. The real Moses. And if you look at the fact that they were coming out of Egypt and they had been immersed in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years, they had been slaves. They had walked in towns where there are temples and ceremonies and feasts and festivals for all these Egyptian gods. And then Genesis 1 just turns everything on its head. But if you grew up listening to Genesis 1 the way we read it, and you don't have that background, you think Genesis 1 is normal. But for them, Genesis 1 wasn't normal. Right. It was, it was, uh, it was revolutionary. Oh, amazingly. I mean, in the first line, in the beginning, in, in Egyptian mythology, like most ancient religions, and we see it even still in Hinduism and Buddhism today, this idea of reincarnation, that, that time is cyclical, that, that it flows in these circles and we're just kind of hamsters on a wheel. And it doesn't really kind of matter what you do. It, you're always going to come back to the same starting point. And in today's culture, we've kind of romanticized reincarnation. Uh, it's this, oh, goody, I get a second chance idea. But if you talk to people who are in India or in Budapest or, you know, not Budapest, uh, but these countries, uh, Tibet, that's where I was going. Yeah, Budapest a little different. Yeah, a little different. Uh, Sorry, allergy brain, so just grace. And we're not geographers. Yeah, not at all. But when you go to these countries where these are the, uh, where the, these are the prominent religions, you will find that this actually leads to a sense of despair and that there's this idea that you're never going to be able to progress. And the, the hope of Hinduism, for instance, is to leave the cycle. And even we see this in Egyptian mythology too, that you would get to leave the cycle. And, but then Moses comes along and he writes this really crazy introduction in the beginning or when God began, whichever way you translate it, because there's a couple of ways. There's a beginning point, and if you have a beginning point, then you presuppose an ending point. And this was amazing. And so now, 
life isn't pointless. It isn't meaningless. Every day, every year, every moment is building to this climactic end that we as believers and members of this covenant community get to participate in. But if you don't know the background, then it's not revolutionary. Right. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to try to catch as much of the coughing and things that Emily and I are doing and editing as I can. Um, so I'm going to apologize for that. I'm just take a moment on that. But yeah, that's great. And so you were talking about uh, Genesis not being a science book. And that's one of the things that it's really interesting to me um, that, you know, we talk about the arguments and things like that, where because uh, I have a friend who's very analytical and he is he's an electrical engineer and he 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 and I were talking about. God and I'm, I was like, you know, it's really interesting that so many atheists um, are highly intellectual because most intellectuals I know will tell you that lack of proof is not proof or is not even disproof. And you know, he was talking about well, so many times the Bible's been presented as kind of the stopgap of oh, God's in this mysterious little detail until we figure out that there is actually a way that. Uh, through, you know, quantum mechanics or the structure of the universe that, that things hold together the way that they do. So that's kind of interesting. But one of the problems with uh, getting dogmatically defensive about evolution, evolution or uh, the six-day creation, and we're not saying you have to believe in either one to, to get this, but when we focus on that, you miss the point, like right. Emily was talking about, where um, it was written as a, a polemic or a rebuttal to the Egyptian way of life and the Egyptian way of thinking. And, um, so, and then to take it even a step farther, you know, you got, we, you know, faith is odd enough as it is. And so when we spend our time telling people, well, you have to believe in Christ, that he came to earth. Okay. Well, that's kind of a, a, a difficult step to go on. And then you press that even farther, like if you want to continue on with where Emily and I are, that, you know, with the Nephilim and things like that, which again, that's going to be a minor note in a lot of what we have to talk about. Mm -hmm. But we're going there. Well, that's kind of a hard thing to believe. But then to ask them to push on even further and continue denying uh, evidence and denying uh, information from the scientific community that has been tested and peer-reviewed in many different ways. And now we're not saying that um, we're not we're not saying an opinion either way necessarily. I personally think that God is God and He can work in either system. Right. And I have not decided on that on, on whether it's evolution or whether it's six days because that to me doesn't matter. But whenever you continually push and push people to say. You have to deny things that have been peer-reviewed. There's evidence for that goes, that just pushes people into the impression that's already there that Christianity and religious belief is a, is a senseless practice. It's without reason and without foundation. And so we can't continue to do that if we want, to, if we want people to understand that when it does come to the transcendent, when it does come to believing in the supernatural, that, yeah, we get there. but we don't get there by denying everything that is natural. Well, and if we, if the science, I'm sorry, if the Bible has to be scientifically accurate in order to be true, 
then we have to ask the question, who's science? Right. Pre-Copernicus. Uh, we already saw when Galileo and all of the big thing with the Catholic Church, does the sun revolve around the earth or does the earth revolve around the sun? And we know that the church was on the wrong side. And so what kind of um, effect did that have on the faith of people then? And so the thing is, God didn't rewrite people's history or understanding of the Bible because, or not understanding of the Bible, but understanding of the earth, because that wasn't what he was after. He was trying to give, convey a theological truth about himself and his desire to be a part of their life. And the other thing, what happens if Jesus doesn't come back, humanity and the earth is still here in 3,000 years. The science we practice today is going to be so basic. Mm-hmm. And so if we get it to line up with us, does this mean that people in 3,000 years couldn't believe because now the Bible is not true? And so fact and truth are not interchangeable terms. And truth is something so much bigger than a fact. And you know, I do think there are times that truth and fact line up, and we tend to call those miracles. <laughs> and so we, we really need to be open to the idea that God has something bigger to teach us. And instead of getting embroiled in debates about whether something is evolutionary, um, uh, you know, evolution or creation, young earth, old earth, whatever, and, and really making people mad and pushing them away, if we focus on the theology, we don't have to get involved in those debates. And you know, Nathan already said, you know, he hasn't really come to a conclusion. And I've kind of just come to the conclusion, it doesn't matter. I, I don't care enough to figure out whether or not it was a six-day creation, literally, whether it was an evolutionary process. I don't care. No matter which way God decided to work things out, it was God at the center of it. And without him, there would still be nothing. Right. And, and to further that, um, you know, if, if you say that any one of your systematics has to be true or God is not God, whether it's evolution or how you understand salvation or anything like that, what you are saying is that if God is not only as smart as me, he can't be God. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about anyone else, but I don't want a God that's only as smart as me um, because I, I don't want a God as smart as you. I can't. Yeah, I can't even see molecules, let alone, you know, put them together into, you know, billions of shapes that form the universe. Yeah, because the truth is creation is amazing. It, it really is. It's mind-blowing. And I, I really think that's one of the problems with modern society is that we aren't in touch with his creation. And so we aren't out there just standing in awe of the fact that there's this God who is able to take these little bitty seeds that grow into plants. and. I, you know, just really stop to consider the way things work or, you know, you and I like to watch animals yeah. and, you know, uh, we'll build on the raven to, to look at what ravens do, their group behavior and how smart they are. Um, a God who could put that much instinct and intelligence in a little tiny brain, mm-hmm. it, that's fascinating. An octopus, crazy. What was God doing that day that he decided this was what he wanted? to create, to reflect his glory. And I, I think that if we can just get to that point, then the hows and the whys, I'm not saying they don't matter. And they're fun to ponder. They're fun to ponder. And we should ponder them because we should ponder them because they bring about more awe and mm-hmm. wonder. And that's why it, it's funny to me that, um, and this is actually, you know, people often get, questions uh, who, people who are into 
things like the Nephilim and um, what Dr. Heiser refers to as the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, um, they often get the question, well, what's, what's the practical point of this? What, what's the application? What are, what are we going to do with this information? And I love that Heiser is always like, well, why don't you just want to know more about the Bible and more about God? Mm-hmm. And to me, I, the practical point is already there. It's like if it makes you, if it gives you any more sense of wonder about God in the universe, then what else are you waiting for? Right. I mean, God's amazing. And this is just more things to think about. And I mean, science is one of those things that we've, we've got to, the church has to make peace with science mm-hmm. um, because there's so much there that just points us. I mean, when we think about just the little things like, you know, I was talking about molecules, like not only have we been given these brains to function, we've been given bodies that have specific tools that are made to pop out the proper uh, molecules and things from things that we eat um, to extract oxygen molecules from the oxygen atoms uh, from the air. I mean, we've got an amazing little toolkit here that we just carry around with us um, that does some great things. You know, sometimes it gets too much of. Uh, certain uh, <laughs> molecules, but you know that's that's just how we uh, choose to uh, to do things. But you know, it's it's really amazing. The more you ponder it, the the crazier it gets. So, um, yeah. Did you have anything else to add to that? No, I think because if I start going on, then we're going to go way too deep and way over our time. But we can return to some of this later and yeah, well, more specific detail. We definitely want to. Um, so, but yeah, we just want to give you an idea of kind of how we approach things, approach the Bible, and and what what the Bible is. If you have any questions, oh, go ahead. Oh, I do actually, because I, I you 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 set off something in my brain there. Sorry. I, for us, one of the big things is it does every answer lead you to ask another question, and so we really, for us, it, it's about going back and asking those questions and. Every time we have a new question, we're just acknowledging God is so much bigger than what we originally thought he was. So what we hope is that maybe these conversations will inspire you to ask some questions, and which leads us kind of back to Facebook and all of that. Join us in those conversations. Give us your questions. Yep. And, and we will travel down that road with you on a lot of time. Not all the questions, because I've got some crazy friends. Right. But <laughs> some, some of the good questions, we're going to try to answer those because they do inspire us to go deeper with God. Right. And so, yeah, that being said, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, find us at Raven Creek SC, ravencreeksc.com. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to hit subscribe. That does help us out. And um, if you really, really like what you heard, Raven Creek, oh no, patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. Um, we do have some perks there. Um, we do have, um, uh, we've got some stuff coming up uh some special episodes um we have actually an interview coming up with another podcast host which we will announce next week um that we've already recorded and we will be um posting that um because there is a big announcement which will happen in two weeks from the day this goes live and then uh we had a great conversation with him then we chopped it off we you know after we kind of got to our time uh he hung around with us for about another hour and a half and so we're going to uh, kind of mine some of that conversation uh, for some bonus content. Um, so be sure to head up Patreon if that interests you, if you like what, uh, like what we're doing. We will be glad to, uh, to hear from you and uh, 
Hopefully you'll come back next week. Have a great week. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.